is Jimmy Scroggins, and I'm the lead pastor of Family Church in South Florida. Welcome to the Church for the Rest of Us podcast. On our podcast, we're committed to giving you scalable ideas that you can use with the resources you have right now at your church. So welcome to Church for the Rest of Us. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Church for the Rest of Us. Jimmy Scroggins here with my co-host, as always, Leslie Bennett, and we're wrapping up our season on the power of the neighborhood church, and we're getting ready to host our conference in South Florida. That's right. March 2nd, 2023 in South Florida is the place you want to be. I wrote a little poem. Wow. Very bad. Wow. Well, (laughs) we better put a stop to all this rhyming and introduce today's guest. I'm super excited to have Pastor JT English with us. We met JT. When he's at the Village Church in Flower Mound, Texas, and now he's the pastor of Storyline Church in Arvada, Colorado. He has his own podcast, the Knowing Faith Podcast, which Leslie and I both enjoy listening to. And he is a published author, and his work in the area of discipleship has been extremely helpful to me personally and to our church. So, JT, why don't you just introduce yourself to our listeners, talk a little bit about your background, your family, and your ministry there in Arvada. First of all, thanks so much for having me. Just glad to be with you guys, like-minded brothers and sisters, and largely working on the same project, just in different contexts. So yeah, like you said, my name is JT. I have the honor of serving as the lead pastor here at Storyline Church in Arvada. It's kind of a fun context for me because I grew up in this community. I actually didn't grow up a Christian. I came to faith in college, my freshman year of college, just campus crusade for Christ. Somebody shared the four spiritual laws with me and God saves me. But ironically, our church was planted in a high school basketball gym, one of the places they met in those early years. And I played ball in that gym as a high school kid, as a non-Christian. And so when I saw Storyline planted seven years ago, I was like, man, that's awesome. A gospel-centered missional church back home. I'm never going back though. I've got a great job, you know, and just kind of was content in what I was doing. I thought the pastor that was here was going to be here for a long time. I think he thought that too and got another great opportunity and it opened up and I just said, you know what, Lord, I'll let you kind of speak into that process. And so we applied and I took the job here. I was here for my interview weekend on March 8th of 2020. So right before COVID hit. So it's been a a wild two and a half years of just kind of trying to navigate a pastor to church for six months that I hadn't met, which was a little wild, but I'm back home and I love these people. I love this community. I love this context. I love our church. So yeah, it's it's a wonderful church. It's about, it'll be eight years old this spring. And then the Lord's just doing some sweet stuff and I'm just honored to be a part of it. Where were you in college when you became a believer? Colorado State University, just up in Fort Collins. Yeah. Now, are you a single guy? So I was dating somebody else then. I got a whole messy story around that. And I actually met my wife about two weeks later at a Campus Crusade for Christ meeting. And man, she was, I remember seeing Macy. She's my best friend in the world. And I said, because I was dating this other girl still, and and she became a Christian. Like, what's supposed to happen here? And I said, oh my gosh, there's beautiful girls who love Jesus. I want to be with someone like that. Never thought it would be Macy. And then she think God's God's kind of providence. We started dating a few months later and We've been married just over 15 years, got two kiddos, Thomas and Bailey, and just they're seven and five. And we feel like we were just in this little sweet season. We said two weeks at home together, like a staycation all by ourselves. We watched every single Christmas movie you can imagine. And just we're loving life right now. Man, that's awesome. So both of you are Colorado kids? Yep. So her background's a little bit different. Her dad is actually deceased, but was an SBC pastor for a long time and actually pastored a church in the same community. So we went to rival high schools. She went to Columbine High School and I went to Chatfield. She, Columbine mm-hmm. High School is the infamous high school where the tragedy happened. She missed it by about a year. But all the kids at Columbine after the tragedy came to my high school called Chatfield. So we grew up in a very similar community, had lots of friends. It's actually how we met with some mutual friends up at college and 
she has a background in ministry. I'm a, my mom was a vice president for the Rockies. So we've learned a lot from each other. I give her sports tips and she gives me ministry tips. <laughs> that's awesome. All right, so is baseball or basketball your game? Still got to be basketball. I play basketball. So that's my thing. But growing up, going to baseball games, actually our rehearsal dinner for our wedding was on the field at Coors Field because my mom was such a rock star there. So I still love baseball. But if, if I had to play it and watch it, I'm going basketball a little bit over baseball. Uh, I'm going to have to be with you on that by a lot. Anyway, uh, <laughs> thanks for introducing yourself like that. I appreciate it. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what it's like to pass through that church? Because now that we're reopened after COVID, you're kind of back in full swing. You're back in your hometown, sort of, and you're trying to reach your neighborhood with this church. Talk about how you're doing that, that storyline. I mean, honestly, I don't want to oversimplify things, but one of our strategies is just really simple. We preach the gospel. We have a hospitable, warm, welcoming environment. We're not doing anything fancy. You know, the book that I wrote, Deep Discipleship, is kind of just lead with discipleship. We're calling people to become followers of Jesus, whether you've been walking with the Lord for 50 years or you're a pagan. So we have, you know, evangelism strategies. We're trying to teach people how to share the gospel. But we just lead with preaching the word. I mean, I'm in a two-year series through the book of Romans. It's not like we're doing a new series every two or three weeks. And people just seem to be compelled by listening to God's word. I've got a couple of fun stories that maybe I'll share for some of the questions later. But like there's one girl who just started coming to our church about six weeks ago who I went to high school with, who knows very non-Christian JT. <laughs> and she became a Christian in college also. And now she's just compelled by the gospel also. She's kind of a new believer and she's growing, but it's like, I do have some of that, like, you know, Jesus says like a prophet's not welcome in his hometown. Sometimes I'm like very welcome to my own community. Other times I'm like, hey, we don't need to hear from you anymore. So it's, it is unique being in a place where you were already known for such a long time. I love that in terms yeah, of our, yeah, our season on the neighborhood church, JT, just because, I mean, from what you've shared, you you know started ministry not in your hometown, and now God has brought mm -hmm. you back. And some of the conversations we've had with pastors are just the importance of living in the community and knowing the community. And so I just wonder about your perspective on that, having done both. You pastored in a place where you weren't from, and now you're in a pastoring in a place where you are from. And what are the, like, maybe like benefits or drawbacks to that. Totally. You know, one of the things that I honestly, I don't think I took fully into account when I came back was I was kind of assuming a generic Denver, if you think Denver, you think Colorado, maybe kind of Western, post-Christian, relatively secular, but that's not my community. I live in Arvada. It's a it's very conservative community, very tight-knit. It's kind of the community that, that has moved out of Denver over a period of time. And so I've got buddies who pastor in downtown Denver and buddies who pastor in Boulder. I could be at their churches in 15, 20 minutes from my house, and they pastor on a different planet than I do. So as we even think about church planting and maybe a campus model here, we have to think about, man, this church is very, very very localized and contextualized for Arvada and doing something Denver or Boulder or Golden, each of which were less than 20 minutes would look very different. One of the things that I did realize though, that I think has been a great benefit in coming back. So I wasn't really a preacher when I showed up at the village and Matt Chandler just kept, kept giving me opportunities. And I grew and learned my first sermon there was 55 minutes and he said, never do that again. <laughs> so, you know, just, he just gave me a long leash of, of uh, kind of just growing as a leader, but I kind of had to preach generic, I don't want to say generic sermons at the village, but I didn't know that context as well. I wasn't from Flower Mound. Here, I know like 1994 Rockies trivia. You know, I know I can make fun of the CU Buffs because I'm a Ram. And that kind of gives my preaching a fun contextualization that I wouldn't have had in a lot of different places because I know these people. I know their stories. I kind of know their cultural guts, so to speak, that would take two decades or a decade to learn if I hadn't had that long context here. Yeah, I think that's a really good insight, JT. And I think there's something powerful about ministering where you're from. So I'm a Florida kid, so is my wife. And so we lived in Kentucky for 15 years. 
after we got married. And I think coming back to South Florida has been a great joy of ours for some of the same reasons that you've mentioned. Uh, you know, my dad's a high school football coach. Last Sunday, this guy comes up to me. He's probably 10 years, 15 years older than me. And he goes, hey, I'm new to the neighborhood. We just kind of moved here. Start coming to this church. He goes, I see your name, Scroggins. Are you related to Coach Scroggins from Miramar High School? I played football there in 1978. Oh, <laughs> like, my goodness. Uh, yeah, I'm related to him. In fact, he's standing right over there. Why don't you go say hi to him? And so That's it was really, yeah, so just, it's kind of, there's some cool things about that that I think are really, really special. Well, you said that you preach the word, but you said you have a warm and inviting environment. Would you mind mm-hmm. talking about that? Because I'm sure there's some things that you actually do on purpose besides just let your personality take over. So how do you create a warm and inviting environment to set people up to hear the word? Yeah, well, one of the things we do is just on Sunday mornings, it's just the kind of the basic hospitality ministry teams. We've got coffee, we've got people greeting, all that kind of stuff. But I'm assuming a lot of the pastors are thinking about that. Let me tell you one thing that we kind of did intentionally this year, but God just kind of put it in our lap that was it felt kind of unique to us. So we, a bunch of the guys, it's like even just, just like right next door, my next door neighbor doesn't go to church, kind of nominal Christian, a bunch of guys in the community. The big thing in my community is sports. And the cool thing is, is dads are super involved. Like if you're at a sports game and there's nine kids, there are seven coaches because each dad is like out there coaching and helping and they're just there. They just want to be engaged and involved dads. And one or two of them were kind of at the fringe at storyline and not really coming. Well, at the church, they built a gym when they got into the, into the building. And if I'm honest with you, I was like, that doesn't feel missional. It feels like we're building like a family center. That was kind of the mentality I was coming in with. Well, fast forward to a few months ago, the league that a bunch of our kids, my seven-year-old, you know, all these seven-year-old kids are playing ball with all these dads. They put like 16 kids on the team. And so a bunch of those guys were like, hey, could we just use Storyline's gym instead and kind of set up our own little gym? None of these guys go to Storyline, like not one of them. They kind of, I guess one or two of them were on the fringe. And I was like, sure, let's get two hours on Tuesday afternoons. We'll get four different teams and let's just kind of create our own little mini thing. Here's the thing that's challenging with that. We don't want to leave the community always. We want to find ways to engage the community. This just happened to be a way for us to engage these specific community members. So for 12 weeks, those dads are showing up at our gym, getting involved. Every single one of them was at our Christmas Eve service just a few weeks ago, just in ways where they're like, my kid plays at this gym. It seems like a warm, welcoming environment. The pastor's there. He stinks at basketball, (laughs) but he makes jokes. I can probably go hang out with him. And we had a bunch of guys who hadn't been in church for 10, 15, 20 years show up to church for the first time just because our facility in our community is a safe place. We also do things for moms during the week, moms who don't have a place to go, especially during COVID. We would open up our gym. We've got kind of play places and let kids come in. So it's just a, it's become a community center for our community that people want to come to our building, not just on Sundays, but throughout the week. Yeah. And I wonder too, JT, if you would just, you think about pastors who are out there. So you have a very specific context. It's tight knit. It's not very family oriented, sports oriented, that kind of thing, which is if you have friends in Boulder, I think you said Golden or downtown Denver that have a little bit of a different setup, but they have to reach their own neighborhood with their own church. So what do you think pastors are missing out there when it comes to the idea and the power of a neighborhood church? I think one of the easiest temptations for a pastor to not do this, I'll be honest with you, I have it, is to be overly introverted or to prioritize the things your church is doing over things that are already going on in the community. So another thing Mm -hmm. that we are doing, again, it's, it's a sports thing, but this would be applicable to anything else. It's just this happens to be for us is find out, maybe another way to say it is, some pastors can find what the community loves and only call it an idol. So you could easily call sports an (laughs) idol in my community, right? Like it's an idol, but those idols can also be redeemed. And so if I was a pastor in downtown Denver, I would find out what did these people in these six, 10 blocks around me, what do they love? Like, what are the things that they, is it the Broncos? Is it, you know, do they love going to watch concerts here? 
And I would find a way to get engaged there. So for example, another sports, another sports example, there's a huge soccer complex nearby. And the guy who runs it recently started coming to our church. And every single, you know, six-week league, he's sending out emails for, I need coaches, I need volunteers, I need help. And we just emailed him a few weeks ago and said, what would it look like for Storyline to provide every single coach that you need? Maybe the dad doesn't have a kid on the team, but like one of our ministries is going to make sure that every single one of these kids has a touch point with a mom or a dad, a man or a woman, who's going to be just their soccer coach. They're going to coach with excellence. They're going to want to win games. They're going to be competitive, but they're also going to teach great leadership skills. They're going to teach, and ultimately, discipleship and invite those kiddos to Storyline. And so that's just one thing. Like That's a mechanism that's set up. We don't need to go start a soccer league. We don't need to go, but we found out what does our community love? Where is everybody in our community on Saturday morning? They're at the soccer field. So if I was in Boulder, I'd be thinking about how do I get on the campus at the University of Boulder and hang out with primetime? I'm going to get an Instagram video with primetime so that people, <laughs> people, you know, yeah. like you find out what is going on in this community that they love that I can somehow make a bridge to the gospel with. Yeah, I think that's so important because I love what you said about the temptation of pastors to see every other successful thing that's grabbing people's attention as a competition. And that's right. not, that's just not how Jesus did it. If you really read the Bible, which brings me to another question. So I wonder if you would just think about it, like, what do you think we should learn about neighborhood church kind of contextualizing our ministry from the Bible? Can you think of anything that comes to mind or maybe even from missiological scholarship or church history or something like that? I mean, I think this, I'm sure, I can only imagine how many people, if you've asked this question, have said something similar. This doesn't sound, it's the most profound thing in the world that it happened. It's not profound for a, a pastor to say. It's, this is what Jesus does in the incarnation. He moves in next door. He comes to our neighborhood. He puts upon human flesh and goes to specific communities. And then that's what we see in his ministry years. He's not like building a, you know, and I'm, I'm not against making this, not building like this big thing. Everybody come see me. He's moving from town to town, ministering to people, healing people and offering them the gospel. And then we see that in the early church as well. I was just reading a book called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. And it talked, one of the main things it talks about. <laughs> I have about, that open and, on my desk right now. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that it talks about it's a great is book. how, it's a great book. And it talks about sometimes what the church can do today is when Christians come to faith, we like kind of cloister them in the church. I'm a big fan of the local church. I think gathering is very important. Formation is important. But what the early church did is said, great, now you're a Christian, stay where you are and be a patient ferment to change that community. And so that's something that we're trying to figure out how to do here. So can I tell actually one story? I feel like I'm preaching a little bit. Yeah, here. heck yeah. Here's a story that just happened. This was like a Lydia story from the Bible. And this woman did not get saved at our church. So her dad back East passes away. She, over the last five years has been practicing, I think it's called like Reiki and like crystals and like, not, not like yoga for like flexibility, but for yoga for like, like spiritual practice and had a practice here in like just a few blocks away from our church. I mean, she would call, I mean, pure idol worship. Her dad dies. She goes back home, kind of has a spiritual crisis, goes to a church, gets saved, comes back here. It's like, where in the world am I supposed to go? Comes to our church continues to hear the gospel get proclaimed, but she shuts down her business. She reaches out to every single person and says, I can no longer do this, but I want to maintain a community with you. Would you mind if I transform my business into, I won't share it because I take her story, but into this, they all stay with her. She got baptized at our church three weeks ago and all of her Reiki crystal practicing kind of magic sorcery people, because the funny thing about like the new age spirituality is you have to celebrate everybody's journey. You can't just celebrate your journey. So they all show up at, it's like 30 people show up at our church, hear her testimony of Jesus forgiving sins, watch her get baptized. And they just like didn't know what to do. And my encouragement to her is 
say, I mean, of course, be a part of our church, but you have to maintain those relationships. As soon as we close relationships off, we can't reach the world. So organic, open relationships allow us to stay connected with the community. That's awesome. I love that story. We love stories like that, stories of life transformation. It's what it's really all about. I mean, JT, before we got on, I'm a fan of the Knowing Faith podcast, so I know you all think deeply about theological issues. So I wonder when you think about like discipleship, maybe some of the things from your book, as you think about neighborhood church, what are some just basics that you would encourage pastors to do with people who are just now getting involved with your church like this woman? Where do you go from there? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure if this will resonate, but I'm going on a little bit of a limb here. I think one of the instincts of really well-meaning, I think this instinct is based out of love, is to assume that the people we're trying to reach are stupid. And so we can dumb down the gospel or dumb down scripture to such a level that they don't think we're intellectually serious. And from somebody who came to faith, not later in life, but I didn't come to faith as a kid. Let me tell you this. Like one of the things that we talked about a lot as evangelicals is how intellectual we are. Do you know Nobody else on the planet thinks we're intellectual. <laughs> like uh, evangelicals don't walk into the room and everybody think, wow, here come the smart guys. And so one of the things I would encourage people to do is we can lead with the good stuff. If you win them with relevance, you'll lose them with the next relevant thing. If you win them with excellence, you'll lose them to the next excellent thing. We want to win people with a true, deep gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to lead with substance. And so I think one of the instincts for some of the guys, specifically in my context in Colorado, is there can be an assumption, man, secular, post-Christian, very Western and highly individualistic. I'm going to kind of lead with relevance or excellent worship services. And I'm not saying relevance is a bad thing. I want to have excellent worship services too. But we just said we're leading with discipleship. And what we found is people, like the main feedback we get from non-Christians and Christians alike is something like, finally, a church that is taking this seriously, that is not just over-promising and under-delivering, but is it's kind of backing up how serious they are about following Jesus. So tell us what that means. What does that mean to lead with discipleship in your context? I mean, it's the stuff that I talked about in the book. I mean, we didn't have really men's and women's Bible study at our church. And so one of the first things we did was two 11-week men's and women's Bible studies, which you wouldn't think is going to be a missional strategy. A third of the women who come to our women's Bible study are self-professed non-Christians that want community. Okay. Like, I'll, I'll so, tell you so another story. What time, when My do next you do door, that? We do the women's Bible studies on Thursdays, 9 to 11, and then 5 to 7, offer child care. That way, acts like, we're basically just saying, hey, come up here, be with your girls group, and hang out. And the, they're... Like the, our my next door neighbor, who I've already talked about a little bit, his wife emailed my wife and said, "Hey, I'll be honest with you. I've never read the Bible before. I'm scared to do it. Can you help me?" Macy said, "Let's do five weeks of Jen Wilkins, Women of the Word, just you and I." She reaches out to ten of her friends and says, "Hey, do you want to do this with us?" Five of them are not Christians, so for five weeks this summer, eleven women were in our basement doing Jen Wilkins, Women of the Word, and then Macy invited them all to do our women's Bible study through Matthew one, and eight of them did it, and it's because they want answers, like. They're not afraid of the Bible. They want to read the Bible. They want to know what the claims of Jesus are. So like rather than leading with some kind of relevant, like, you want to talk more about your anxiety? Not to make fun. Anxiety is real. But the truth is we can only talk about our anxiety when we're talking about the claims of Jesus and the steadiness that that provides us in our lives. I think that that's so important, JT, because I think if, when you try to set yourself up as some kind of success coach, then when they think they find a better success coach, they're just going to go exactly. to it. Exactly. It's going to be hard for you to compete with the dog and pony show of the next person who's got a whole nother bag of tricks that you don't have. And I think just yep. pointing them directly to the ancient source of truth and wisdom, the scriptures inspired by the Holy Spirit, then you're giving them something that actually is rich and deep and honestly time tested. And so I that's think right. that's a really – so can you tell us sort of practically – so like take one of these people who've come to Christ recently at your church, like the New Age Crystal Lady – 
So she comes, you find out she's a believer or she becomes a believer. You baptize her. Like, what do you sell her to do? What do you do? Is there something you put in her hands or you say, no, it's Thursdays at nine o'clock or what is the thing that you say? Okay, so here's your next step. Yeah. So first, just that we already discussed, I would say, don't leave your community. She's running an equestrian practice and doing a great job maintaining those relationships. We don't want her to leave that. Next, the most important thing you can do is prioritize the weekly gathering. We want you to be here with the saints, hearing the gospel proclaimed, because God's word is powerful. We want you singing. We want you hearing testimonies and stories. And of course, this is after she got baptized. First step was baptism. Now it's begin meaning, meaningfully participate in the life of the local church. And then we have a both and approach. I think a lot of churches kind of have an either or approach. We're either going to do community or we're going to do education. And we've got both of those places. So we've got home groups and we've got Bible studies. And then we also have an institute with about 80 people in it. Storyline currently has 875 members, 196 new members this year. And we have 940 non-duplicative adults involved in our discipleship spaces, which means more than our membership is engaged either in home groups or in Bible study. They don't have to do both. Some of them do both, which means we have about 1,500 people involved overall, but 900 and something non-duplicative are involved in both. So we would say gathering and then a discipleship space for adults, which would either be a community-based event or a learning-based event like a Bible study. And what's the difference between what happens in terms of curriculum in your home groups versus your Bible studies? Most of our home groups would have no curriculum at all. They are gathering, talking, and answering some basic, simple questions. I'd actually like for them to begin to do this before the sermon. They currently do this after the sermon. I'd rather them talk about what God's word says than what I just said. But I want them to know, what does this text say about God? What does this text say about me? And am I supposed to do anything with it? Or what am I supposed to do with it? Just, those are the basic questions. That would be the curriculum. And they're basically just providing community, hospitality, caring for one another, doing the 53 one another's of the New Testament. Whereas the Bible studies are curriculum driven. The highest stated outcome there is learning. We still use the villages curriculum. So they'll do 11 weeks, just kind of of a inductive basic Bible study methods, learning how to read the Bible for themselves. And they do several hours of prep before they get to the actual class. Yep. Yeah, I think that's, to me, one of the most powerful things that you learn to do at the village and that you're doing now at Arvada is that you create environments for learning where you're not apologizing that learning is the outcome goal. And you're also requiring them, if they want to be a, a real participant, to actually put some shoe leather to it before they show up to the class. I That's think right. that is such a incredible, I mean, it, it sounds like it shouldn't be rocket science, but I don't think most churches are doing that. And I think that's a really an explosive concept in terms of discipleship. Well, we've talked a little bit about this. I mean, I think evangelicals have maybe slowly learned over time or pastors have slowly learned over time that we think people are afraid of commitment. They're not afraid of commitment. They're afraid of committing to things that don't matter, which is one of the reasons they won't commit to us because they're not sure we think it matters. But friends, people will drink kale smoothies and do CrossFit. <laughs> they are not afraid of commitment. If they think it's going to have a meaningful impact in their life, they're willing to do it. People will do whole 30 cleanses. And we're afraid to say, can you please study the gospel of Matthew for two hours this week? So I, what I've found is when we raise the bar a little bit, people realize, oh, they're serious about this. Maybe I should be taking this more seriously. Maybe this is worth it. JT, I think that's so right on, especially like with kids sports leagues. You know, I have a lot of kids, so I've been involved in kids sports leagues for decades. And one of the things I've been amazed by as a pastor is we're like begging people to come to stuff, offering it for free, free childcare, free everything. You don't really have to prep. Heck, you don't have to come every week if you can't make it. Then you try to volunteer to coach like seven-year-old football. And yes. you've got 10 coaches out there who all paid $300 a piece for the privilege, had to go drive to Miami an hour away for an all day Saturday qualification seminar, yes. had to take, watch 12 hours of videos to get certified for their caring well status. 
And then they had to, <laughs> to get certified yes. by the National Football Association so they know how to tackle correctly. And they all paid money and showed up to all this stuff so that they could be a volunteer and get screamed at by other parents who don't like the plays that they called. So then we're like, please come to our thing. We have food. We have yes. child care. You don't have to come all the time. No wonder they don't think that we take it seriously. I think that is a very valuable point. That's exactly right. Hey, JT, if we had to kind of land the plane here, but I want to ask you one thing about your book. So tell our listeners about your book, where they can find it, and if, what is kind of like the central idea, this elevator speech for your book on discipleship? Yeah, so the book Deep Discipleship, I wrote that when I was still at TVC, and if I'm honest with you, I was terrified because it came out, or I guess it, I uh, got the manuscript back the week COVID hit, and I was like, I'm not even sure. Remember, everybody was saying like church is never going to be the same again, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, <laughs> have I just written a book on deep discipleship when we're all going digital for the next decade?" No, so deep discipleship is really born out of my story. I came to faith and wasn't discipled through college. I went to my pastor and basically said, "Hey, I'd like to know my Bible better. I'm, you know, exploring a call to ministry. What should I do?" And he said, "You need to go to seminary." And I said, "What's seminary?" Like I didn't even know what seminary was. I was so new to this whole thing. And I always thought back to that conversation, and I thought, "What if the local church itself could take people from being pagans and making pastors out of them? Even these bivocational. So this is not just like a big, a big village church thing, or family church thing, or storyline, or Austin Stone, whatever. Like, what would it look like to have a model for pastors to follow that could say, you know, I'm a bivocational, you know, I, I work as a plumber 30 hours a week, and I'm trying to preach God's word. I've got a couple of deacons. How can I develop a system just for me to be thinking about how to raise people to be followers of Jesus Christ right here in the context of the local church? Last part of that is, is we have adopted a system that has basically told us that the best way to raise up disciples is that they have to leave the church in order to lead in the church. And I want to see if we can explore a model where we say, if you want to lead in the church, the best thing for you to do is to stay in the local church. Yeah, I appreciate that so much. We have a lot of overlap, Leslie, between what JT is saying and what we're learning and what we're discovering and trying to put into practice at Family Church. And I want all of our listeners to hear this because I really think that JT is a leader on the rise in the world of church leadership. And I think his ideas are timeless and helpful. And I think you'll find the materials that he produces to be the same. So tell everybody the title of your book, where can they order it, and the title of your podcast, and then any other ways that you'd like to share with the listeners about how they can find you, your preaching and teaching, and what you're doing. Thanks. Yeah, so the title of the book is Deep Discipleship, How the Local Church Can Make Whole Disciples of Jesus. That came out by from B&H in 2020. You can just find that on Amazon.com or Lifeway.com. I have that podcast, like you mentioned, with my friends and colleagues, Kyle Worley and Jen Wilkin. That's a weekly podcast where we're exploring the things we're talking about here. We're either going through books of the Bible. We actually start recording for season 10 tomorrow, where we're going through the doctrine of salvation and celebrating 10 seasons together. And just a fun little tidbit, this isn't really public public yet, but Jen Wilkin and I just finished a book this week. It's called You Are a Theologian, an Invitation to Knowing and Loving God. And that should be out by the end of this year as well. Tremendous. And your podcast is called Knowing Faith. Knowing Faith. Yeah. Well, JT, thank you so much for joining Leslie and me and all of our listeners on our podcast here, Church for the Rest of Us. I do want to remind all of our listeners that we have all kinds of exciting things happening. I hope you'll come back and tune in, tell somebody about our podcast. That'd be a huge help to us. And we'd like to meet you in person and learn what you're doing to reach your own neighborhood. So please join us for our one-day Church for the Rest of Us conference on March the 2nd, 2023. You can register right now at churchfortherestofus.com. Come check it out. Some of the ideas that we've talked about on this episode of Church for the Rest of Us will be on display for you to learn more about, connect more about at that conference. 
This is Jimmy Scroggins, Leslie Bennett, JT English. You've been on church with the rest of us. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'd love for you to check out FamilyChurchNetwork.com to chime in on our blog or follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins. We want to connect with you and learn from you because we're in this together. We're all learning from each other. We are church for the rest of us.